0: Since this is a NAM piece, just talk about you know the, the experience at NAM and what kind yeah. of opportunities it's, it's given you. And, no, it's been yeah. good. I
1: mean, we, we come to NAM, um, I've been to NAM every year, I think, since the second year, I think, Steinberg's. I think my fourth NAM in a row, and obviously, I used to come in the old days as well. And, um, you know, I think this year is we've been much busier this year than we were even last year, and having John here with us as well has really helped because you know i'm often away from the stand doing meetings and things and you know and having john around to be able to answer you know somebody who knows dorico as well as i do so it's been really busy we've had heavy footfall on our stand demos i've done have been pretty well attended um we've had lots of you know interesting meetings with different people Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just really good the only downside is that i haven't seen anything else at the show because I've, i've just been cooped up Right. In the Marriott the whole time but right. but it's good, and of course, I also travel out a couple of days in advance, and so I you know try to try to fill in some extra bits and bobs
0: do you do you find that you get good feedback um, oh yeah. uh, from from, from people here from yeah, from everyone. Uh-huh. yeah. okay but yeah, yeah.
1: you know obviously we, we've come on so far with Dorico in a relatively short space of time, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the initial objections that people might have had have been comprehensively taken care of, which is good but you know, there's always, there's always more stuff. And um, in particular on this trip, you know, I've, I've been able to speak to a handful of orchestrators and composers in, in the Hollywood sort of scene. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a group that we've always wanted to go after. You know, when we, when we sort of identified our four key constituents for, for Dorico, it's, you know, composers and arrangers. They're all, they're all, they're all two groups. There's really eight. But, you know, <laughs> but we group them together in four. So composers and arrangers, teachers and students. Um, people working in, you know, engraving, copying and publishing and the media music crowd. And um, and so to be to be able to get first hand access to, you know, top professionals in, in that field, uh, because they're here, because we're in the right part of the world is, is really, really valuable and, and so I've picked their brains on a few on a few things that we're that we're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, although I, I like to think that because we've got all the experience we have got, we've got a pretty good grasp of what the requirements are and how people want things to work, but you know, there isn't. There's nothing as, as valuable as just validating it directly with somebody who's actually going to use the feature. So.
0: Anything particular? Yes. Anything that you could care to care to share? Well, well,
1: I mean, obviously, we're. You know, it's it's no. <laughs> I'm just being naughty. It's it's no it's no secret. Obviously, with play mode in Dorico, what we're what we're aiming towards yeah. is, you know, obviously, you know, we've we've got two, sort of two parallel strands going. Because on the one hand, we we want to. We want to look at um, integration with Cubase as, as, a, as a goal. But then we also want to flesh out Play Mode so that you can complete jobs in Dorica without needing um, to, to go to Cubase. So, so you know, the, the sort of the overall goal is how do we, what do we need to do to Play Mode um, in order to uh, facilitate the kinds of mock-ups and, you know, high-quality results that people in the business require, you know, even if it's just mock-up for a producer to hear or something but you know regular regular mini playback isn't going to cut it so how do we actually do that so it's really about trying to prioritize which are the things in play mode you know because we have a long as we have for every aspect of the program we have a long, long laundry list of things that we want to add uh, so it's just helping us to kind of guide us in the right direction for which of the things that are actually going to make the biggest difference the soonest.
0: You call it a scoring program, and I think a lot of times that conjures up media scoring, film scoring, television, game, and so on. Um, So the fact that you are having those kinds of conversations here in L.A., uh, in Southern California, I mean, it makes makes sense. And I was just having lunch with an uh, orchestrator today, and he said uh, every time... uh, if they're uh, composing for film and they need to create something it, it always has to go to a mock-up that is believable. It's yep. not enough just to play it through the default sounds <coughs> of, the, of the software um, and that I met and, he, and he, said, he told me he spent 30 minutes doing a, a string arrangement like actually writing, writing, writing it out. He knew it would sound good yeah. but then had to spend Two to three yeah, hours, say, hours yeah. to, right. to, to get right. a two minute arrangement right. sound. Right, he so that knows that. But he's
2: got to sell it to somebody else who, who doesn't. Yeah.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah. And right now, the process, is it, the program that he works in, uh, is not getting the type of expression from the strings and the sounds and the default, uh, uh, you know, through the default settings. And so you've got to go through a, a sequencer, basically, still. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's... Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the
1: goal is that, you know, for projects that don't require audio recording, basically, right. or or for the time being, I'm not saying that we won't ever have audio playback mm-hmm. in Dorica, because, of course, Cubase's audio engine can do that just fine. It's just that it introduces a bunch of user interface issues about how, you know... A, to what extent do we then need to be able to edit the audio and you know click regions and all this kind of stuff in order to line stuff up and are we going to then trigger it for the notation? It sort of opens up a whole universe which we need to be ready before we step into rather than kind of blundering into it uh, without preparing and thinking about it. Yeah. But certainly projects that are reliant on virtual instruments and you know, MIDI, MIDI-stration, in inverted commas, to, to make, make it work, those are the projects that we, that we are targeting to really nail. Dorico you know so what are the tools that, that, that composers need in order to make it sound good you know what is it they're doing in the sequencer to liven up and put the expression into those samples and how do we you know obviously preferably do as much of that as we can automatically but but failing that um, how do we give them the tools that they need to make those changes themselves and, and in an efficient way so that they can still have a good-looking arrangement out the out the backside of it without having to you know compromise on how it looks in order to make it sound good and, and that's really what play mode in dorico is is going to allow us to do you, know, you can already see in, in the way that you can make adjustments to the note durations and the onsets without affecting the notation that you know we can we can sort of build on that basic premise to add a whole bunch of other sort of layers of invisible information that will affect the Playback, but without mucking up the score. So
0: oh, so you could add uh, other uh, controls in exactly. the play me- mode, yeah. and it would not have an effect. Yeah. on the, On this, I mean, obviously, I think
1: when when uh, when we made that video uh, in the summer before the first version of Dorica came out, and like, it, it includes footage of an early version of the controller lanes that we had in play mode at the time, <laughs> and we we had to take them out because they, you know, they, they weren't working at that stage, not not to any sort of meaningful level. Um, and you know, it's all very well us putting in bits of user interface, but of course we have to work with our colleagues in Hamburg to, you know, expose the functionality of the underlying audio engine as well. You know, it's in many cases the sort of it, it's a bit like um, you know grafting on a new organ, effectively. So that there's a there's a pipe there ready to receive the circulated blood and so on, but you've you've got to you've got to get the organ ready for transplant, and then you've got to hook everything up, and that needs careful planning and coordination. So um, we. Yeah, we we have to kind of you know we have to work closely with the guys in Hamburg on figuring out <coughs> how and what and when we do things. And of course, there's you know plenty of it's not like we're waiting on them. That, that's not what I'm saying. There's plenty of work on our side as well. So we just have to we just have to work work together on it. And um, you know that that just takes coordination and and time. And you know I've, I think I've said to you before that I think our biggest challenge is prioritization because. I feel like there's no, there's nothing that our team can tackle, absolutely nothing they can tackle and do better than everybody else does it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the only challenge is choosing what to do mm-hmm. and, and trying to make good choices so that you're continuing to open up the you know more more and more users basically to the software design. You know if if there's a downside to our approach of uh, sticking to our guns or not adding something to the software until we do it properly you know, the obvious downside of that is well therefore, if we don't even have any support for X or Y feature, then people for whom that feature is completely essential are locked out until until we have it. So, you know, that's the trade off. But but I feel good about the trade off because, you know, practically every customer we're gonna be selling to in the in the short term, except for people in education, and, and really then Students in education because obviously faculty are already using something anyway, and so obviously the students are guided by the faculty in any case. So pretty much every customer is going to be coming from an existing program, and of course those programs are so mature and so broad that you know you can't possibly know which of the you know everybody uses a different twenty percent of those programs, and so if you don't cover that particular twenty percent, they're out. So the way that we look at is, well, we know we can't we can't get there yet. We can't get to covering. The ground, all of the ground that those programs cover. So let's just make sure that when we do something, we try to do something that appeals to a very big constituency, and let's do it well enough that they look at it and they go, "Good grief, that is so much better, so much more thought through, so much more musical, so much more functional than what I'm doing in my current program." That okay, I may not be able to do project Y, but I can do projects A, B, C, D, and F in this program. So it's worth me, it's worth me taking a look at it. So that's why you know things like. Chord symbols are so important, because of course, you know, okay, orchestral music doesn't have chord symbols, but a lot of other stuff does, and that's a huge proportion of people who want it, and, you know, okay, piano pedaling is a specific idiomatic notation for one instrument, but it's probably the <laughs> instrument for which the most solo music is written, for example, so it makes sense to tackle it, so... You know, as I say, the, the challenge is always making a good decision about what we're going to work on next. Um, and you know, before the first version of Docker came out, we, we were sort of able to do that in a vacuum, effectively. And obviously, we had our we had our target date and we had our target feature set, and we we were just working diligently towards it. Um, and obviously, some things that we intended to be in that first release didn't make it. You know, core symbols and so on, among them. Uh, and since the release, of course, then it's a different problem because now you've got, now you've got people shouting at you every day about, I'm not going to buy it until X, or I have bought it and now I'm very disappointed because of Y, and so it, it just becomes, it just becomes um, you know, you're no longer in a vacuum. You can't make the decisions entirely based on, you know, for example, what you might like to do because it would make most sense because you can tackle X and Y thing together. Uh, because from a functional point of view they might make sense, you know, it turns out that Y is actually much less important to a large number of people than J, then you have to do J and X rather than X and Y and you have to, you just have to spread yourself out. So so,
0: so are you making adjustments to your, like you're talking about prioritization being a... uh, Definitely, uh, yes. It's a continual
1: continual thing. So, you know, obviously we we knew exactly what we were going to do in 1.1, and we knew exactly what we wanted to do in 1.2 and you know those those we would kind of figured out earlier on you know pretty much when 1.0 came out and now we're sort of at the at the end of the 1.x feature cycle and we're looking to what comes next Um, and you know we've got all it's not it's not just what should we work on next because we're not in the vacuum anymore so we have to think about what's the rhythm of the business going to be you know when are we going to do a paid update when are we going to do you know x and y thing that's going to make a paid update worthwhile and all this kind of stuff so so um yeah the the prioritization job gets harder rather than easier because each choice in a way is is more painful now that we have paying customers Mm -hmm. than it was before we had any customers at all Mm -hmm. and you just have to you know we we try to be guided by we do we do of, of course we listen to the feedback we get like in-person at shows mm-hmm. like NAM and we're getting it every day on Facebook and on the forum and mm-hmm. you know I mean I, the, the one thing that is really different from the days when I was at Sibelius doing this job is that there it was pretty much email and the forum yeah, the jam page, yeah. And that was kind of it right now it's Twitter it's Facebook yeah. email yeah. you know in-person events yeah. it, It's it comes at you from all sides yeah. and so trying to make sense of that and actually to see the signal through the noise is, sure. is actually very very hard sometimes.
0: And depending on who's might be screaming the loudest at any given time or yeah. is are, are there a, a bunch of people that are rather silent but actually quite pleased with what's going on or are they suffering in silence and yeah. not saying something and Well the silent you, yeah. people
1: you can never know, of course. Of course, so right. You have to kind of um, you have to sort of guess that the vocal people are somewhat representative mm-hmm. of the of the silent ones. Yeah. But so I wouldn't say that. I mean, I certainly am not a believer in you know the squeaky wheel gets the grease. That's not that's not the way we prioritize. Certainly not. Um, I feel like you know the feedback is very helpful, and particularly the specific feedback about how we should tackle certain things. But that feedback doesn't really govern when we tackle things. That's that is that's something that's more about our product strategy rather than about like oh you know there's a particular outcry about x or y things so we'll we'll tackle that right now that, that isn't how we work you know
0: so i'm curious actually john you know because in in your role i mean you you've taken quite a uh, an active presence um uh helping people out in, in that way and uh it's something that i think the something that daniel has has really set the, st- the standard uh for basically any any product in this space is the level of engagement, the level, you know, something that people have come to expect, and I think that helped people really have a uh, really a personal connection to to the software. If you think about uh, something that I like to remind people uh, in your business, uh, on your side of the, the the table, so to speak, is that most of us using the software, we we use it every day. All day, pretty much. We spend more time with it than we do our loved ones, uh, in, in which is kind of sad. But uh, it also, <laughs> it's uh, it ends up being the truth. So, um, so we have this real when when people are are passionate about it and they have a, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, when they sometimes would would scream at you or or, or <coughs> passionately talk about something to you. It's not necessarily that they are are angry or or trying to tweak you in any way in that manner it's it's more about hey you know this is this is something important, I I, important. Yeah. yeah so I, you know I'm curious when 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 you've gotten to know people uh, users uh, and and I imagine that the user base has continued to grow as you've put in more uh, is there anything that you have seen um, where where users have really kind of come around and the light bulb has gone off and said ah you know I get it, that you've been able to help them and, and say, look, if you just go here, this is where it is. And, and, and you know, maybe just talk about what your experience has been so far as you've kind of gotten to know this burgeoning base of, of Dorico users. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I think I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily, you know, Daniel, because you, and I know from previous history, you know, getting you off the chat page was never going to be possible anyway. <laughs> um, and yes, there are now more social media channels to cover and, sure. and, and everything else yeah. but it's not I'm, I don't do it from a well I you know I feel this is what we necessarily ought to do but it is because I'm also passionate about it sure. and yeah. also probably from background of tech support and helping people mm-hmm. um, well, well as we both did it's yeah, really yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's that if I can you know help somebody to achieve you know what they're trying to achieve because I know that they're also passionate and in many cases yeah. time is money yep. um, you know and so that's that's where the, the kind of the, the help thing really comes from mm-hmm. but i certainly have seen people who have been yeah they felt frustrated because they're trying to do things in a way that a, another notation program does and that's not necessarily how we do things mm-hmm. and but to you do have to kind of be a kind of a, a calm and just explain look i know you're trying to do something this way but that's what's frustrating you is that's not actually you know just you, yeah you do need to you know, here's the help thing that will help you and I have had and I've sent to Daniel before when I've been talking to some particular users and said uh, and then I've had an email from them and they have said they've had that eureka moment yeah, of, light bulb's gone on yeah mm-hmm. I, I, I actually get it now as to you know why this thing and yes okay I was trying to do it in the way of, a, you know, a is there bit, an that's an example really nice. that,
0: Is there an example that you can... Uh, I can connect? think
2: of a particular name, I'm not going to mention them. No, of course, yeah. not, a, not yeah, a person, but uh, yeah. but
0: some, whether it had to do with... I mean, for one one thing, speaking for myself personally, is that the flows concept is such a yeah. new thing for those of us that are accustomed to using yeah. the... Well, sometimes things in
2: engraved mode where they've been trying to do something in a particular way, mm-hmm. and then so. Oh, I, yeah. They can. Kind of, mm-hmm. Oh, right. I get it now. Yeah. Right. And so, yes. Yeah, sometimes it's to do with because the actually is the a lot of the initial setup kind of things about how players and instruments work. Wow. Um, we were talking earlier about percussion type stuff, and actually, if you try to do it in the same way as another program, actually, that doesn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. Actually, taking a step back for a minute and saying, "All right, the general concept is players who can hold multiple instruments," and then looking at that in conjunction with flows, and sometimes in conjunction with master templates, Mm -hmm. actually, you come about the whole thing from a completely different angle, and that's the quickest way to do it. And if you start a project thinking about it from another notation program's point of view, you're gonna get into a whole big mess of, you know, that's gonna take you an awful lot longer to do it that way around, Mm -hmm. so.
0: Would you say that's one of the challenges, you alluded to it uh, a little while ago, Daniel, about that, most people coming to your software now have used one of the other programs before and I think with Sibelius um, a lot of people, I mean a lot of people were using Finale or something else perhaps but a lot of people just were not, they had no preconceptions whatsoever about how a software would work because they weren't familiar with it and that was really their first entree into it. So is that, Do you do you feel like the challenge of unlearning something else is something that you are Having to deal with a little yeah, bit? Yeah, and I've also
2: found with, because uh, part of my role is, is training other people who are training, or, uh-huh. uh, you know, train the trainer type stuff, yeah. but there's um, a particular university who are now switched to Dorico, and they... In the UK, is this? No, it's in Switzerland, oh, in Lucerne. In and oh. he's found the, 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 the guy who's teaching that talks taught Sibelius for a long time, mm-hmm. and he said, actually, he's now getting, the, the students that he's teaching actually often haven't used any other notation program before whereas he has. So he's done the kind of unlearning process or running two programmes at the same time and has taught this for such a long time he knows the kind of questions that are going to come up from the first-year people. He said, actually, he's having a lot less questions uh, and he's really surprised from the people doing things in Dorico now because actually, it's not just that they're different questions, but actually, for seeing it through somebody's eyes who's never done anything before, actually, he then appreciate the intuitive
0: bits mm-hmm. a bit more. It's interesting, and perhaps you'll appreciate this, Daniel, but I remember when I gave, gave the uh, self produced lectures that I, that I used to do a few years ago, and I was working with Sibelius 7. And um, there were a mix of people in the class that um, had come, you know, were using Sibelius 6 and 5 and 4 and whatever. And there were some that came to it, this is their first time using the software. And invariably, the people that came to Sibelius without having used it before. Did not have any problem with the ribbon. They thought it was intuitive. They thought they were able to find things easily, and it was only the people that had used the software before that were up in arms about it. And so that's kind of a a similar story that you're telling, where where if you have to, uh, you know, if you just don't have any idea about how software should work at all, it's just okay. This is. How it's done, and and, uh, otherwise you've got
2: preconceptions as to I think this thing should be in this place. Why is it not where I think it's supposed to be?
0: Because it's been there for ten years or twenty years or however long I've used something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What are some of the other um, for either of you? What are some of the other challenges that you have found in either getting a feature to to see the light of day or explaining to customers? why it is that you're doing things a, a certain way whether it's a feature whether it's the the concept of the program
1: i mean there, there have obviously been some some specific things that yeah. if we could have done them differently it would have been a good idea yeah. like not having anybody doing any technical authoring for us for six months was not was not the smartest thing we could have done uh-huh. right. <laughs> you know that was circumstantial you know right. we, we ended up but we so ended up losing our writer and, and then having to hire a new one I and see. so hiring a new one mm-hmm. finding the right person took a while
0: but if i can turn that around then have you seen i mean the proliferation of the videos uh, anthony hughes videos the yeah. documentation now uh, have you seen a correlation uh between that i, I don't know maybe it's causation of correlation i don't know but um have you seen a, a more of an uptake on the on the software itself as those have started to come out well, i think people-
1: the i think the releases is where we add the features that people are waiting for, are the things that really cause the increases, you know, so yeah. obviously chord symbols coming out is a big deal, sure. and a lot of people who were waiting went ahead and jumped in then. Um, and obviously the, uh, the percussion stuff that we did, I mean, you know, it, in a funny kind of way, it sort of it maybe got slightly less appeal than, than chord symbols, but chord symbols work pretty. I mean, you know, with some caveats, they work pretty well in the other programs. I think percussion is an area that doesn't work very well in either of the other programs, and so um, you know maybe people were not expecting us to take such a kind of radically different approach to percussion. Uh, I wish they would expect it by now, because you know our the way that we approach everything is to go back to first principles and to try to come up with a solution that models the real world needs rather than just whatever's convenient to program. Boy oh boy, if we did what was convenient to program. Uh, i have fewer grey hairs, the team would have fewer grey
0: hairs,
1: everybody huh. would be a lot happier in it. but but,
0: a point, but talk to me so talk to me about that where I remember you were telling me about a story when you were at Sibelius and you were talking about uh, linked par- uh, dynamic parts when you finally saw that oh, yeah. oh it's moving you know, amazing it's moving moment. yeah when yeah. you see that for the first time yeah. Yeah. and then I go back to even the story where um, was it uh, ben, it was Ben who talked about all these things that they were doing, and they never actually they seen a printed right, page they, of music until the day before right, they, right. they finished. Which the is first version, which is yeah. amazing. Story. So I mean, so tell so tell our readers, the listeners um, about like all the th- the thing that I uh, covering as a layperson, as a user. Talking to you, talking to the Make Music folks, to the Steinberg, uh, to the uh, Savalius uh, people, to to people like Adrian uh, from SoundSlice and, and other, other folks, so much goes on behind the scenes that we don't even see. So oh, yeah. almost it seems like you have given us updates throughout the way with your development diaries, but what, if, there, if there's been anything that you could share with us about, like, the, just the, the work that goes on behind the scenes to get something to a state and then that, that. Eureka moment. Or yeah. Eureka moment. That, yeah. you know, if you've well, I think mean, percussion's a good example because yeah.
1: we, you know, <clears throat> when we were in that very initial phase of figuring out what we were going to do, and we were sitting around before we even had computers, and it was just, you know, at the time, just 11 of us, and, and our notepads and some whiteboards in a dingy basement office in King's Cross, you know. And right from the beginning, I was, you know, and I'm, I, don't, I certainly don't take credit for everything good about Dorico. Goodness me, no! The team are incredible, but I knew right from the beginning how I wanted percussion to do it. I knew from right day from one, from the very mm-hmm. first moment that we started work, that it, you know, if we're going to do this business with players and instruments, which you know, then it had to extend to percussion as well. And the, the team didn't necessarily agree with me at the time. There, there were maybe they still don't to be honest but we've done it this way now anyway so but they you know there there was some there was some uh, doubt about the fact that this would actually be the way to go but i could see it so clearly that that this was going to be the the answer to all of these complicated problems that you know mapping staff types and You know, all of those horrible things and and the fact that you you didn't have any predictability about, you know, you could input a note anywhere in Sibelius and you didn't know whether or not it was actually mapped to a drum or not. And if you then wanted to change the staff type, then of course, what happens to all the music in the score? Nothing. It just stays there and is wrong, you know. So, and that's just the drum set, never mind orchestral percussion and and, and the needs of being able to present it in different ways. So those ideas were kind of fully formed five years ago, right, five years ago. And um, the, the amount of work that went into, because, you know, what Dorico's doing when you're showing a drum set is it's basically doing dynamic condensation of 12N instruments into a five-line stage. And it has to do all sorts of stuff, all sorts of very sophisticated stuff. Just the, the, the complication of tuplets, for example. So you want to write a tuplet pattern. John was showing this in the Discover Dorico session on Tuesday this week. If you want to have a tuplet that goes between, say, a hi-hat and the snare, under the hood, is actually got to have tuplets on both of those instruments, and then will only show one of them when you're in the combined thing, but when you blow them apart, they've both got to be there, because, because it's two separate instruments, so you can't have half a tuplet on the hi-hat and half the tuplet on the snare. And, and the nice thing is that I can see you've never thought of that, and that's because it just works in the way that it's put together. But it doesn't just work, it takes an enormous amount of of work to figure out, okay, so the way that the kit is currently set up, the snare and the hi-hat are in the same voice, so when I create a tuplet in the hi-hat, I actually have to create it at the same time in all of the other instruments that might share that voice you know, when it actually comes to, and we don't show them, they're not there really, but we we have to know that 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 range now needs to be compatible tuplet-wise across all of these instruments that might share a voice. And that's dynamic based on how the kit is set up and has to change if the user goes in and changes the stem direction of that snare drum, then you've got to do that for the bass drum and the snare drum rather than for the high the snare drum. So 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 so. if I
0: can interrupt, and, and so you're talking about this and you know, the way that the tuplets work Tuplets, tuplets. Uh, with, with tu- I don't Let's call the whole thing. <laughs> um, that's something that was one of the very first things that you showed in Dorico, and is that yeah. is basically what you're saying? Is that dependent upon that logic of the way it deals with tuplets and whether or not they can, you know, be subdivided across bar lines? And you know yeah, they're yeah. not. They're nothing special. They're nothing special. special, special but right. They
1: uh-huh. still. They're nothing special on one level. When you've got, you know, half a dozen instruments that can contribute to a single voice yeah. um in, in a drum set a stave, for example, then we have we just have to have an extra layer of stuff on top that says, okay, well hang on. We need to make sure that the user can type the notes in where they expect to. And because the hi hat and the snare are totally separate instruments, you, don't forget, you can blow it up and you look at them as single line staves, and then there will be a tuplet with a quaver, sorry, an eighth note, and then two eighth rests on the on the hi-hat, say, and there'll be a, a tuple at the same position on the snares with two eighth rests and then the note. But When they're drawn together, then you only see one of them and there's a, a, a note to rest on a note, but in on different positions. And, you know, you don't need to worry about this stuff. That's that's kind of the so point, that's right? No, that's much to go to so, my question. Like, yeah.
0: all these things that we don't even think about. Like that's you said, right. you said it hides behind the scene. I've never yeah. even thought about no. how you would represent it. It's yeah. just, it's not something... And, and you know, you there's know. months
1: of work behind that, basically. Just, just something that that in the end you can do completely naturally without worrying about what the programme is doing under the hood is the result of careful design, careful planning and then the team doing an absolutely amazing job of implementing it. And and so, you know, we we had to get from, from this kind of idea and then the actual detail of how do we really manage, you know, three different presentations of the same music in different layouts, making it still feel natural to input making it do the right thing on playback, making it possible to do, you know, here's another example of something that you kind of don't necessarily think about, but which takes a lot of extra work, you know. So when you're showing them as a one-line stave, you might want your triangles to just use a regular round note head, as it, as it ordinarily would. But then when it's on a drum set stave, it might need to share a stave position with another instrument that's already using a round note edge, and now you've got to be able to tell them apart. So then you have to dynamically change the note head when it's that instrument on the know on that staff position in that presentation type but not change it when it's out on its own that kind of thing so and again these things are all they just work they just work you just tell the program what you want it to do and it just does it but all of those things really take really take a lot of a lot of doing they really take a lot of doing and with both chord symbols which over the course of that six month period we were working on it you know easily five or seven of the team were working on it and even after 1.1 two people were still working on it for another two months full-time and then one person was still working on it pretty much until 1.2 came out and we've still been working on it since then to make sure that all of the editing and everything works the way you'd expect and with percussion we started on that before 1.1 came out and we had half the team working on that for, for more than half of last year and it was you know just the, the, the groundwork that has to go into getting to the point where you first see the drum kit stave and you go kick snare and it and then you go hi-hat and it puts them in, in the in the right voices automatically, which is a great moment when it comes. But the 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 sheer amount of implementation that goes into that is really, really, really formidable.
2: And also the use cases of being able to say truncate to shortest duration only because it's a drum kit and we are now happen to be sharing them in the same voice you know you don't need to see ties on that note even though you entered it that way because maybe originally it was thought of as a percussion part and that was the cleanest way to notate that once you've condensed it down to a drum kit that's no longer the cleanest way to notate that well, it needs and to also a duration.
1: it's truncated in the drum set stage. but if you look at it in the part yeah, it's, it's still shown yeah. its full duration so yeah. Dorica can even show notes to a different duration based on the presentation type in order to make the notations as easy to read as possible and again that's only possible because we've got you know because of this way that all of the events live in this kind of abstract form. right
0: that is the underlying representation exactly. of the music then, which is and right. then
1: we can because of that things are not concrete mm-hmm. at that level mm-hmm. well i tell a lie that's actually where they are concrete it's at the notation level that they're not concrete which sure. means that, that we can we can then decide you know we can have, effectively you know we have I think called the notator, which which does the job of taking that concrete set of durations and notating it according to meter and subdivision and so on. And we sort of have a special version of that that does it for percussion that knows how to, you know, resolve all these tuplet issues and remove ties where they should be done. And you know, and and it's it's careful design that's gone that's gone back years basically that allows us to to build that.
0: I was going to say that goes back to when you were describing. Uh, you know, initially the very first uh, yeah. conception of Dorico um, going back to the, the first principles concept, the underlying uh, representation of the music being this thing that yes, you can kind of think about in your head, but it's not the way anyone would ever really think about music, how it's represented what either we hear it or we, yeah. we, we see it, but um, ultimately you've had to get there. So actually I'm curious because this kind of plays into a, a Something else that we've been covering here at, at Nam, which is the the open standards uh, uh, dealing with Music XML and the MNX next project. Are you when you're designing these things? Are you also thinking about well, how, what if someone needs to then take this and send it to some other program, or you know, send it to? Uh,
1: I mean, there's uh, there's always a tension between no. you know we we can't. You know, it, it is interesting because of all speaking as a co-chair of the group, I'm very invested in the success of MNX, you yeah. know, I really want MNX to work because the use cases that the group has outlined, you know, and, and these are probably applications that we at Steinberg won't even build, you know, these are a lot of these use cases are things that, that are maybe not the sorts of stuff that at least with our sort of heavyweight desktop app that's designed for making beautiful sheet music, it's not necessarily our wheelhouse necessarily. But there is always a tension because... Obviously we, we don't want to be um, fettered by the needs of an open standard when we're you know because our goal, our one job is to build the best tool we can for musicians and of course, best tool for musicians can mean a thousand things to a thousand people and of course one of the things that might make it the best tool for musicians is that the interchange with other tools is good you know so there is a tension between you know how far do we go you know because we, we definitely as is obvious from everything we 've done over the last few years, we have hewn a very different path than our competitors because we have conceptualized the problem in a completely different way um, I think I think a more musical way and you know that 's not to pass dispersions on Sibelius and Finale and other programs because you know if we had been starting in 1988 or in 1986 like Finale and Sibelius respectively did with the computer power that was available and without the benefit of Having worked on this kind of software for fifteen years and so on, you no doubt would have would have made similar decisions. But we are the you know we're the guys who get to stand on our own shoulders and on the shoulders of everybody else who's come before us. And so we we take the bold decision to be different and to, and to go a different way. But in, not because we like like want to just be clever or something, <laughs> yeah, but because. Well but because we really genuinely believe that's the way to make a better tool that does more stuff more musically mm-hmm. more easily
0: but it, it sounds like the musical version of john f kennedy's uh going on oh, <laughs> go to the movies yeah, yeah. not yeah. because they're easy <laughs> but because they are hard yeah
1: yeah indeed Ciao. <laughs> but but we um but it does it does of course put us at odds right. with with what's in music xml certainly you know think there are things that dorico can do that are, you know music xml of course can represent a lot more than you would think by looking at the way that the current generation of programs interchange. You know, Michael did do a great job of kind of capturing a broader set of use cases than you would kind of imagine by looking at what the Music XML interchange between programs today is like. But you know, to be honest, we we had to, you know, we had to decide, are we are we going to do this in a way that is going to make it easier to do interchange, or are we going to do it in a way that makes a better product for people who are who are using it to produce music? And that, you know, that is a hard decision, but we we in the end it was it was clear what we should do. We we want to, you know we want to be able to make a generational leap in terms of the kinds of music you can make with our software and being, as I say, fettered by something that is, you know, I wouldn't, you know, it, I, all of this will make it sound like I'm being very critical of MusicXML because I am not. I think MusicXML is an amazing thing and we're very, very lucky that Michael was so dogged in basically making it happen. And You know, it, it can't be um, overstated how much his own personal energy is the thing that means that we now can send files back and forth to Finale because Sibelius because I'm, we certainly weren't interested in, it in the time, Sibelius, and I'm pretty sure Make Music weren't really interested in at the time either, particularly not right then when Sibelius was coming into its own, and there was a dogfight between those two guys, and Sibelius was coming and eating Finale's lunch, you know, neither of us then wanted to make it easy to, to put music in the other program. So all the things I'm saying are not not in any way criticism of Music MusicXML, which I think is, a, is an amazing achievement, and we're very, very lucky to have it. But all that said, we couldn't look at it and say, yep, well, that, that's the boundaries that we need to play. So. You know, it, it's very interesting. When I, I obviously came into the, the W3C stuff because of my work on Smoothwood rather than because of my expertise in XML technologies and in you know that kind of stuff. In the way that, say, both Joe and Michael have much more expertise in that area than I do. You know, I'm the well, who am I? I'm the font guy, right? But but it is um, it is very very interesting. And, you know, we work very closely together now, the three of us, and we you know we meet regularly. Um, by video conference and so on and we discuss these issues and, you know, we, what I'm sort of, little bits of, of ideas that we have in Dorico will undoubtedly kind of find their way into MNX if the community likes them, you know. Um, but at the same time, you know, all three of us are very mindful of the fact that you know each of us has had a big hand in a representation format. You know, I haven't done the implementation, but I've obviously been a big part in kind of figuring out how we were going to do things and you know the ideas behind it, if not the implementation side of it. Um, so you know, we all we all have opinions about how things might be done, and and so the, the the challenge that we have now is to chart a course between our ideas and the ideas of the community. But I think the thing that will save us is that we've got this clear set of use cases that we identified and which we feel the community has kind of ratified, as it were. So, you know, it'll be it'll be very, very interesting. You know, we, we obviously will, in the, in the fullness of time, once there is an implementable spec, we will set to work on implementing MNX, and it'll be interesting to see how, how close we can get to the things that Dorico does that other programs don't do within... Whatever we end
0: up with in in MNX. So in your in your work uh, with the uh, W three group, or just your general knowledge of the field and the industry, have there been other? What are some of the other products that you've seen out there that have been um, interesting, that have been inspirational, perhaps that you're keeping an eye on, uh, just because you're curious? Uh, yeah, you
1: know. I mean, we try to keep our eye on everything, you know, because it's a small. It's a small and, and sort of it's, it's an odd little niche of the music business because it's very competitive, but most of the people who are in it are somewhat friendly with each other you know so it, it, it's, it is a, it's a sort of odd little world um, i mean i I think there's there's really there's there's tremendous ideas all over the place and also great technology all over the place you know and i I look at things like sound slice, for example, and I say you know what Adrian has done there is just absolutely yeah, it's really top draw stuff, and and he's you know, and again, that's the product of somebody obviously with with great technical jobs but also a really clear vision for what he wants that platform to do, and who it's going to serve, and what jobs it has to do, and it's and it's tremendous, and it's and it just gets better and better and better, um, you know. But there, there's you know, we, we meet with a lot of people, um, you know, we, we kind of come across a lot of people, um, and I think there's there's interesting stuff happening happening everywhere, you know, and a lot of it is, is well outside of our area of, of sort of expertise, but, um, you know, it, it's, there's more, there's more interesting technology development in the field now than I think there has been since probably, I would guess, like the early 90s when every, it was kind of the pre-Cambrian explosion and, you know, Finale hadn't, hadn't completely demolished Encore and... Professional composer and all those other things and score and everything else was around in those days. And now, you know, I think it's the internet and it's the web that has that has brought forth this new generation of of interesting technologies. And um, you know, it's 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 a fascinating it's a fascinating time. And you know, being being part of the W three C group is is one of the you know one of the neat ways that I get to kind of be on the sidelines of all that stuff while. Still trying to devote as much of my energy as I can to, to making Doric as good as it can be. No, I was
2: just thinking, uh, well, remembering what, um, what Ben said in one of the interviews about when they were designing Sibelius and there were guys designing Finale somewhere, but because the internet wasn't really used there, yeah, no you had idea. no real idea what somebody else was doing and, and you had a much smaller world to have kind of influence from or anything else it's almost the opposite now if you've got an idea for something you kind of not only have to check somebody else hasn't had the same idea and is working on something similar but there's so many kind of other sources that you can get information from or use or like um, um, Kevin's flying drones and in, in the Intel thing at CES the, the other day and, and that kind of thing I mean, yeah it's just there's so many other outside yeah. influences and, yeah. you know, and actually now it's almost more too difficult to keep tabs on everything because yeah. there's so much uh, other stuff happening. And, e- I mean, uh, and NAM is a particularly good place where you can just uh, ease it, well not easily because it's a big place, but go around and see what some of the other startups and other ideas and things are which might then spark something else.
0: You know, a lot of the conversation has moved to social media and just yeah. kind of an, a perpetual ongoing uh, conversation as opposed to, okay, we have to make this publication deadline and the, yeah. releases, the release is this. So, it's a yeah, in a, fun- in a way, it's yeah. kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. There's
1: still, you know, I saw on the on the front cover Upbeat this morning, right. two thousand product launches. At now, two thousand oh, yeah. product launches. Yeah. Why are we still doing that? Why yeah. are we still waiting until right. the third week of January to launch yeah. two thousand products? You know, why would you want to launch a product at the same time as two thousand other products? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. when there is this cyclone of information at all sure. times, you know, how on earth are you ever gonna ever gonna get anybody to know what you've done? Right. So right. Um, yeah, I, I it, you know, you can't possibly keep up with it. It's it's yeah. a it's a perpetual Tsunami of of, uh, of stuff. Well, you're um,
0: you're managing pretty well uh, to keep on top of it, and I know it's uh, what is it three in the morning or six in the morning, and in, and in, uh, in back three, in, where, in, yeah, where you where in you live. Morning. So so you've you've managed to be incredibly articulate and in giving of your time here. So thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thank you.